0: Hi, everybody. My name is Denise Pawarshi. I am the chair of the English department at the University of Washington in Seattle. You're listening to our dialogue series, Literature, Language, Culture, which invites members of our community to share insights around their research and teaching, exploring the ways that our work contributes to how we experience and seek to understand this time of global crisis and change. If you would like to watch a video version of this conversation, you can find it on YouTube For a transcript of this audio dialogue, you can follow the link in this podcast's description labeled Transcript of Episode. Thank you to Lee Scheingold for her generous support of the series. Gifts from our department donors make projects like these possible. We hope you enjoy, and please leave us a review over on iTunes. Thanks for joining this conversation, and I hope you join us for future talks.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Literature, Language, Culture, a dialogue series here at the University of Washington in the English department. And we have two guests with us today, Charles and Pamone. Why don't, Pamone, you introduce yourself first, and then Charles, if you don't mind, introduce yourself.
2: Hi, I'm Pamone Triplett. I teach in creative writing in the English department. My specialty is poetry. I write poetry and I teach Graduate and undergraduate uh, poetry workshops and poetry seminars.
3: Hi, my name is Charles Laporte. I'm a professor in the English department. I do I specialize in nineteenth-century poetics. I teach a lot of classes in historical literatures, uh, Victorian literature, uh, introduction to poetry, and things like that. Yeah, thanks.
1: Perfect. Thanks both of you. And you're technically our first episode where we have creative writing and poetry studies coming together, which selfishly I'm excited about because yeah. I am to be a hybrid of both. <laughs> so Perfect. I'm excited for today's episode. And I know that you already prepared some poems for us to look at today, right? So what did you bring for us to talk about today?
2: Well, we brought um, a poem by Terrence Hayes called The Golden Shovel. It's a form that he invented that is based on uh, Gwendolyn Brooks' famous poem, We Real Cool, and the um, Hayes is an homage to the Brooks. Um, shall I read We Real Cool? Yes. Okay. And for those of you who are
1: listening instead of just watching the episode, I realized thanks to Charles that the podcast listeners might not know this. We'll have a link to these poems in the description of the podcast episode. And those of you watching on YouTube, if you look at the screen, we'll also have it on screen while Pamone reads it for us.
2: So, all right, Pamone, take it away. Thanks. We real cool by Gwendolyn Brooks. The pool players, 7 at the Golden Shovel. We real cool. We left school. We lurk late. We strike straight. We sing sin. We thin gin. We jazz June. We die soon.
3: Yeah, fabulous.
1: Thank you. And then you said that the golden shovel is based on this one, right?
3: Yeah, so this is this is uh, I'm I'm going to read the first part, and uh, Pimone is going to read the second part of Terence Hayes' 2010 poem, "The Golden Shovel." Uh, it comes from his uh, collection "Lighthead," fabulous poem, and uh, and a, a very famous poem right now. It's uh, Terence Hayes, like he's only my age, and he's in the Norton Anthology Poetry. You know, like he, he and and this is the poem that. Um, that they selected. So it's two parts. I'll read the first part Pamona then will read the second part. And what you'll hear is uh, Gwendolyn Brooks poem echoing in the background. He uses her poem as a spine for his own poem, which if you're looking visually at, at the golden shovel, it's gonna run down the right hand margin of the lines. So let me read the poem here. So Terence Hayes, "The Golden Shovel," after Gwendolyn Brooks. Part One, 1981. When I am so small the sock covers my arm, we cruise at twilight until we find the place the real men lean, bloodshot, translucent with cool. His smile is a gold-plated incantation as we drift by women on bar stools with nothing left in them but approachlessness. This is a school I do not know yet, but the cue sticks mean we are rubbed by light smooth as wood, the lurk of smoke thinned to song. We won't be out late. Standing in the middle of the street last night, we watched the moonlit lawns and a neighbor strike his son in the face a shadow knocked straight. Da promised to leave me everything. The shovel we used to bury the dog, the words he loved to sing, his rusted pistol, his squeaky Bible, his sin. The boy's sneakers were light on the road. We watched him run to us, looking wounded and thin. He'd been caught lying or drinking his father's gin. He'd been defending his moth trying to be a man. We stood in the road, and my father talked about jazz, how sometimes a tune is born of outrage. By June, the boy would be locked up straight. That night, we got down on our knees in my room. If I should die before I wake, Da said to me, it will be too soon. So that's part one.
2: Part two, 1991. Into the tented city we go, weakened by the fire's ethereal afterglow, born lost and cooler than heartache. What we know is what we know. The left hand severed and schooled by cleverness, a plate of weekdays cooking. The hour lurking in the afterglow. A late night chant. Into the city we go, close your eyes and strike a blow. Light can be straightened by its shadow. What we break is what we hold. A singular blue note, an outcry singed exiting the throat. We push until we thin thinking we won't creep back again. While God licks his kin, we sing until our blood is jazz. We swing from June to June. We sweat to keep from weeping. Groomed on a diet of hunger, we end too soon.
1: Thank you both for reading those for us. We'll start at the very beginning. Why did you bring this poem? And then it's kind of echo Gwendolyn Brooks with you. And also, uh, Charles, I loved how you called it. He uses her poem as a spine. Uh, that was a beautiful way of, of, of framing that. So yeah, are these poems today.
3: So I, w- I wanted to bring in the Tarantay's just, I think it's a mad, marvelous poem. I think it's a, a wonderful sort of poetic achievement and I teach it in my, introduction to poetry class and in my introduction to the English major class as well, because I want my students to be alive to the ways that literature and literary culture, you know, are involved sort of long ongoing conversation between various artists. But Part of what's so beautiful about this poem is the way that Terence Hayes honors Brooks, uh, that the, the poem contributes to the meaning of, of, of Brooks's poem in, in a real way. Um, so I, I, I teach this poem to my class. I, first I teach them We Real Cool, with, and I like so many other scholars teach We Real, we real Cool in poems where I'm, I'm talking about enjambment, about sort of when a line breaks. And We Real Cool is has this very distinctive set of line breaks in which the, she, she sort of breaks the subject verb composition of her little mini sentences and, and divorces the subject from, uh, from the verb, sort of famously. right. So when I teach this poem, I sort of, I've given them We Real Cool, we've been through We Real Cool, and then I give them Terrence Hayes, and I don't tell them like, look for, look for We Real Cool, look, this is a Telestitch poem in which she's sort of using them or he's using her words on the end of his lines, I don't, I, don't, I don't give it away to them. I just give them the poem. And they have this wonderful moment when they're like, wait a second, right? And like that, the sort of moment of, of uh, realization that we all have uh, sort of when, when we appreciate what he's doing with
0: her poem.
1: And just to back up for a second, right, to go back to the explanation of enjambment, do you mind giving a quick, again, like when we say enjambment in Gwendolyn Brooks' poem, what are two lines where that's demonstrated and why it's kind of like a style that she she was kind of known for, like the way she did it? Why does that matter in the poem,
2: you know?
3: Yeah, so let me let me flip back to the Brooks. I'm sorry, I turned that <laughs> page. Enjambment,
2: I'll just jump in too, Charles. And it comes from the French. It means to, uh, Jean means leg. And so um, when a poem has enjambment, it means that the end of one line breaks in a place that is usually not coincident with a punctuation, like a period or a comma. And it's not even usually coincident with where we think of a phrase kind of ending. Um, so it can be and it can be unpunctuated, but basically it is a kind of um, phrase unit that in prose parses out to where the comma would more or less be, or where a pause would be, and that's still end stopped rather than enjambed, but enjambed means the leg goes over from one line to the next jamment so it just means that um, there's a break in the line, and the line continues on the second, the sense of the Last word continues in the first word of the next line. Thank
3: you. Right. So, just for an auditory explanation of of the way the enjambment works so distinctively in We Real Cool, like the first line of Gwendolyn's poem is We Real Cool, We, right? We Real Cool, period, We. And then the second line is Left School, period, We. The third line is Lurk Late, period, We. In other words, so she's that's what I mean by sort of breaking off the, the, the subject from the verb, that the verbs are sort of left hanging, and then it's super powerful at the end when you get to "die soon," and there is no more "we," right? There's that where where you you get the sort of terminus of of uh, of the poem, the young man's death.
1: So we where you were talking about how. Um... of shifting from that enjambment with with the subject to verb and so on. What does that have to do with the golden shovel? So how does that understanding of enjambment um, come through with the golden shovel as a poem? Like what's the connection there between the two?
2: Well, both Brooks and Hayes are both participating in the long tradition in poetry of the last word of a line being important. and sometimes the first word of a line being important as well. so it creates um, additional emphasis if a line of poetry ends on a particular word. Um, and traditionally that has had to do with iambic pentameter, um, but and even there, of course, uh, you would want to choose a word that has some importance to the meaning, um, because it's an opportunity to create additional emphasis when you Break something into lines as opposed to just having it appear as prose. So when Terence Hayes does it, the all the words in the Gwendolyn Brooks poem, not just in the end, but all of them, occur in the at the end of Terence Hayes's lines. The meanings of those words are are shifted from the um, Gwendolyn Brooks. And in fact, one of the things I think that's so nice about thinking about these two poems together is as as an homage, but also the idea that poets can look to previous poets and create something new out of, directly out of the language of the previous poet. So when Eliot says, good poets borrow and great poets steal, um, he's quite right in this case. Um, And I do like how it can give students permission to think about the tradition in that way. Um, What Hayes does, of course, is transform the words that he inherits from the Brooks while keeping it an homage um, by creating this new form. Uh, But it also is a different relationship to the past than, say... Well, gee, as a writer, here are a lot of poems that are great poems from the past that are, that are great. What I'm supposed to do is somehow um, transform those in my own writing into something entirely new that is still in place, but this is permission to use the actual words themselves rather than kind of, I should, be, I should have influence, but that influence should never show. That's the transparency that um, Hayes denaturalizes for us, I and in mean, doing that, he creates a really direct sense of community um, between himself and and our time and Wendell and Brooks's time.
3: Yeah, I would, I would, I would totally echo that. I, I think that uh, the thing about the Golden Shovel's is a beautiful poem, but it also sort of makes Brooks's own poem pop in a new way. Brooks's poem, which is like so famous that it's like, that no one can, no one who's been hanging around poetry for a while can could read it at a certain point, right? At a certain point long before 2010, when, when Hayes published this poem, where it was, it was like, it's, it's a great, it's, it is, I think it is Gwendolyn Brooks' most famous poem. She thought so too, and she was honestly annoyed with how famous it became. Right that some of the readings that you'll hear where, where Brooks reads the poem, which she reads it beautifully. Um, but she, she's like, you know, I did write other poems, <laughs> you know, they're like this is this is uh, you know, I, and I don't think I don't think it's you know anywhere close to Gwendolyn Brooks' best poem. Uh but it's it's just what he what he does is to sort of take this like super canonical piece of, of literature and, and, and in a lot of ways enlive it in new ways, he humanizes it in new ways in my view. Like I think, I think, I think the first part of the golden shovel is just sort of heartbreaking. Uh, the second part is also sort of moving, but differently. For me, the first part does a lot more. The first part is much more narratively structured, right? Which I don't, I don't think of myself as a sucker for narrative and poetry but I guess I am here, um, you know, just the, the sort of relationship of the, the boy and his dad, the sort of the foil of the other boy and his dad, the sort of the racial injustice of the you know young man locked up state by the time he's, you know, who knows what age, like the, and, and the, the sort of prayer at the end where the dad's just like, that's too soon, right? I mean, it's a, it's a fabulous, I think it's a fabulous poem, and then he get, he goes into a much more sort of lyrical vein in the second um, in the second poem
2: it's an, It's interesting to me too, and brilliant really to me that the way that he uses enjambment actually, the way he uses the n words um, in the first section comparison to the second section because in the the first section, which is more intimate and is more narrative and it tells a story um and there is the family intimacy of it, of two children, um, and their relationships to their fathers, <clears throat> and their and their relationships to the masculine world that they are inheriting,
0: right.
2: and will enter. Um, <clears throat> in the narrative piece, the N words, you know, we real cool, obviously, um, are coincident with. The, the syntax, or in other words, they're, they're sort of made to sound natural. They're made, the N-words are made to sound as if this is being spoken and this is naturally where you would have this word. Um, and there's a kind of intimacy in doing that. And it's part of storytelling without necessarily um, some of the more experimental lyric gestures that come in the, in the second section which in some ways are which in some ways is a little bit it, there are immediate images, of course, but it is a little bit more of a lyric overview of the situation as an adult. Um, and here the N-words are broken extremely artificially. So what you have in the second section, the more lyrical experimental piece is he wants to get we in there. So in the first line of the second piece, 1991, into the tented city we go, we hyphen, Aiken. So the word is weakened, but he's artificially broken it so that you have that we. There is no such word as Aiken, of course, but when he he repeats that method all the way through, um, or through most of those N-words, you get, I think, a sense of the adult male masculine life here as distorted, as broken, as even the language is sort of torqued and twisted in relationship, even in relationship to the violences of the first section. Um, It says in the third stanza of the second section, the left hand severed and schooled by cleverness. Um, I also feel that as the left hand severed in a way, all these all these words that are severed in their middles, like weakened, severed into wheat and achened, <laughs> um, even at the level of the language, there is this cleverness, but the cleverness that may be necessary for survival um, has to do with a harsher reality, has to do with adult life and some of the um, straightening that the self must undergo in order to still be alive, until interesting. one it's is interesting the,
3: <laughs> It's interesting how the wees become weakened and weekdays, and weeping, right there. And there, there are there are a few intact wees, but as Pomone says, you know, mostly not. Mostly he's he's sort of chopping these words in half again, not in not in not in syntactic ways, but but sort of keeping the keeping the we and then reframing it with another uh, word as with singular uh, thinking, right? That was with, with sort of other words where, she, where he's, he's chopping it in half to keep. So it's it's interesting. I mean, the second one is really a different sort of, it's, it's also an interesting poetic project. And for me, it works much better because of the first one in the same way that the poem itself works much better because of Gwendolyn Brooks, right? That, that, that uh, the, the sort of, and the fact that Brooks' poem is, you know, it's just a few lines, it's just a few words, right? So he's able to do it. I would echo what Pamon said about uh, the fact that he gets, he includes her whole poem in, like, the, there's, there's a satisfying sort of sense of totality there. So after uh, Hayes writes this poem, after it becomes famous, and Hayes himself was, was sort of, I gather, taken aback by the fact that sort of everyone went nuts. At how uh, wonderful this poem is, um, he was sort of surprised by it. He was like, "I was just sort of messing around with Gwendolyn Brooks." Um, so, but sort of when when he does uh, when he does this and he publishes these uh, in 2010, then lots of other poets start to do it. They start to do their own sort of tell ditches and 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 working up various. But but very few poems like. When he picked "We Real Cool," it was an inspired choice because it's such a short poem that he can include the totality of the poem. Not that pe- poets have done these awesome versions of. In fact, there's a whole anthology that I've got here uh, called the What's the name? Uh, Hayes book, uh, "The Golden Shovel" anthology, uh, which is a uh, few poets, you know, looking at what Hayes does and and looking at its interest, said, "Well, let's let's just make an anthology of these Golden Shovel poems." Right? Which again, like you, you are sort of a poetical badass if you make a subgenre before you're like 45. Like that's, <laughs> that's like, that's winning poetry, you know? So, as my children say, to win.
1: A significant piece of this is that they're speaking to a very racialized experience, right? So, Terrence Hayes is, is really speaking to the Black male experiences right? And the kind of breaking and fracturing. And then I think it's interesting to think about like, is it winning to have to create something as a racialized subject that's valued because of how it can be recirculated, right? In a system that's designed to extract from you only what it can recirculate. Um, and so I, this is where I'm hoping we can, t- I can hear your both of your thoughts, you know, on this part where there's this kind of like um, dialectic of both like the winning of it, the good, right? Of, and the, the excitement of someone who historically would have been excluded from being a, a canon making master artist, right? Being explicitly named as sort of master now of the genre and creating a form that students learn from and pick up with the conundrum of how it is, it isn't, it's a little bit different for instance, if a, a property white male poet had done the golden shovel of Gwendolyn Brooks's
2: poem, right? Um, Yeah. Well, Thank you for that question. That's a great question. Um, One of the things that Hayes says about the Gwendolyn Brooks, um, and I I would echo what Charles pointed to earlier, in a way, the Gwendolyn Brooks is so famous that if you had been immersed in poetry for a while, it's so iconic that in a way, it's easy to lose track of what it's really saying. Totally. Um, yeah. and, and, it is, and it is deceptively simple, like a lot of shorter poems, um, this minimalist piece with shorter lines as well. It, it's deceptively simple. One of the things that Hayes points out is that the Gwendolyn Brooks, str- this is a quote from him, straddles praise and elegy defiance, as in we sing gin, and acquiescence, we die soon. And that straddling, that willingness in Brooks to allow complexity to stand, to allow some paradox to stand, to allow in this case, um, uh, well, victimization, to stand alongside celebration and praise and the ability to sing which is always in poetry whenever song is mentioned um, poetry is not far from the consciousness um, or from from the subject matter and Hayes does exactly the same thing in his poems by turns you'll see um, or you do see how it's um, there's praise there's celebration sometimes the men in the pool hall are practically like um, you know, gods, they're translucent, they are rubbed by light, smooth as wood, and then right on the heels of that, they lurk, um, the lurk of smoke thinned to song, so there, that celebration with song, and there is this, um, repeating trope of the thinning out of the self, um, that is a racial phenomenon, um, and it's it, and at, at the same time um, lurk follows right behind singing right and what is involved with lurk the idea of of danger the idea of being on the edge of something and also you know the very um kind of white normative perception of the racialized body as that which lurks and presents danger on the edge of normative experience
3: yeah I would I would add to what pomawan is uh, saying that like when, when people think of Terence Hayes as a Black Lives Matter poet, which of course he is, people, so most people think, most people who know his work think of the American sonnet my past and future assassin, right? The words famous, famous and fabulous, like a wonderful book. But there's a sense in which the golden shovel is also a Black Lives Matter poem, right? And there's a sense to which it reminds us that We Wrote Cool is a Black Lives Matter poem, right? That, but, but one that, as Pomone says, can be read differently, can be read simply as as sort of blaming the boys, right? For not being in school or whatever, right? That that uh, I think his his poem sort of takes us back to to, to Brooks, asks us to read Brooks again. Um, again, like I, I just think it's I think it's quite gorgeous. Sometimes the tune is born of outrage, right?
2: I, I exactly. I also think it rather intentionally lifts itself not away from but through the idea of the racialized um, thinning out of male vitality, um, feminine vitality as well, of course, although here relegated to necessarily to a different arena. Um, but the old, you know, it's a commonplace of spiritual progress that the self has to suffer and break in order to reach some moment of um, some other kind of fusion or an awakening experience. And there's a there's a wonderful kind of doubleness to the thinning um, and to the way that light is used in the first section. Um, on the unfolding of light. Um, I mean, what would it mean to be at twilight? The men are lean bloodshot and translucent with cool. What do it mean to to be translucent with cool? It's not really a a sensory image. I mean, translucent would be see-through. But when you read the rest of the poem, you see that in terms of the meaning, the idea of them being sort of ghostly almost or not quite entirely there um, thinned, um, you know, in the in the in one sense negatively, right? Um, but in another sense, you know, th- they could almost be like angels there, the singers um, who thin themselves in order to sing.
3: Yeah, the women on the barstools too. Like I love the line, you know, with nothing left in them but approachlessness. Right? <laughs> that that sort of That, approachesness like you're already there in some sense. Um, Yeah. Again, as it's a a poem about tuition. This is a school I do not know yet, Mm -hmm. right? Where you you are the the boy, the small boy is is taken to school.
2: I love that tuition. You have to pay, and you will pay. Um, and, it's all, and it's also interesting for me, the first part of the poem
3: is, is so interesting because sort of we begin in the present tense and then sort of halfway through in like line 11, all of a sudden there's a, there's a pivot where it becomes sort of a past tense. I don't know, like I don't have some big scholarly explanation for what's going on here, but the, the first part of it, there's, uh, there's an immediacy to that present tense. Right when the poem begins, because it would have been super easy for, for Hayes, should he have chosen to do so, to have written the, the opening, to have written this in the past tense too. Right, you wouldn't even have to change the prosody. Right, for like when I am so small, das sock cover, covers my arm, we cruise. Could that could easily be when I am when I was so small, das sock covered my arm, we cruised. Like that would that would all that would metrically be the same thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but there's, there's sort of an immediacy there that sort of midway through part one, when he shifts to staying in the middle of the street last night, all of a sudden we go into a, a, a past tense. I don't know why Hayes does it this way, but, but the, the, the immediacy of, of part one, that present tense, is, is it is poignant in the ways that it sort of speaks, and then the, the, the past tense is is a little bit more comfortable like most narrative is done in the past tense and not just in this genre but like in live your reading memoir if you're reading you know like I'm a 19th centuryist right there's no end of 19th century fiction that's all sort of done in this this literary past tense like this is my story I'm David Copperfield or whatever um, and it's so it's it's sort of it's more it settles down in a certain sense um, he keeps both, right? I mean, which, which uh, is just really interesting to me as, as a scholar sort of why that, that uh, frame works. And then again, when we get to, to 1991, it, we're right back in the, the sort of present tense into the tented city we go, right? Weakened by the fire's ethereal afterglow that
2: mm-hmm.
3: uh, we're right back in, in the present tense.
2: I feel like the asa- the as- the insertion of what we might call the the close past tense as in it's in this this narr- narrative is happening in the past just last night and then that's narrated in the past tense um but it's it's a close past in relationship to the to past A <laughs> it's it's past B it's not past D <laughs> when when the um when the event happens um, where the boy, the I, um, the speaker witnesses, not the boy, but the speaker witnesses the other boy. Um, I mean, there's a lot here that has to do with witness, um, right. which is more than um, representation in a way, um, or more than the presentation of self, right? Yeah. So that the past tense becomes necessary as another it, another event that can then be gathered with the more general past of boys go to the pool room with their fathers. Um, It sort of narrows into a more, um, to a a stricter past tense with the one specific boy who's a neighbor boy who gets hit in the face by his own father in front of everybody. Um, And then the things that happen to the boy who gets hit, right? The, it's, the boy's sneakers were light on the road. Um, that wonderful sense, by the way, before I move on, of light as, again, that double entendre, it's a visual aspect of the piece, but it's also you know, the light of comprehension maybe, and then also the idea of light as lightweight. Um, then when the uh, father, immediately after that, the father of the the Da, the father of the I, um, says that he would give this legacy. Da promised to leave me everything is what follows af- immediately after the neighbor boy who gets hit. Da promised to leave me everything. The shovel we use to bury the dogs, this sense of legacy the shovel, of course, the golden shovel and the bar, but also this specific shovel in the family that's associated with, specifically with death, right This is the one we use to to bury the dog. The words he loved to sing he, he bequeaths him poetry, he bequeaths him a pistol that's rusted as well again, that 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 straddling of supposed opposites, you know right next to each other, the positive and the negative, or praise and um and uh, defiance or critique. It, it, and the squeaky Bible and his sin, it feels as though the father also bequeaths to you this vision of the, of the child. Because what the father doesn't do, da, is offer any kind of help to the young boy who's been hit, who runs up. We watched him run to us looking, for, looking wounded and thin as if for help. Um, And then, you know, various accounts for what the boy might have done wrong. um, Or done right. Or done right. (laughs) And what what Da again offers is, um, we stood in the road and my father talked about jazz. How sometimes a tune is born of outrage, right? This true, you know, almost aphoristic saying that still is, a kind of philosophical response, a kind of overview. You know, he doesn't, we don't get a scene of him, you know, helping the boy stand up or brushing him off or, or giving him band-aids or something, but rather the impression that maybe there isn't enough help, help to give at the level of the individual boy, um, but instead the help is Look at this collective thing that we inherit, that we have to respond to, that we have to learn how to um, sing through. Um, These are the raw materials that are harsh and and life-threatening, and they are the ones that we have to turn into song. Seems to be more the lesson of aid than than the idea of personally actually helping. The, the The boy who's been hit is going to go to jail He's caught in this system already. um, Was born into it.
1: And it would add that I noticed with the tense shift that it technically goes into um, "we won't," like we will not be out late, and then the past tense is a sort of explanation for why they won't do something in the future while talking in the present. That the second part was written in the present, but it reads as if now we're in the future because of the 1991. Right. So there's almost like a inability to fully enter uh, into like a speculative future. Like the future has to become a present again, like an insistent present, present, yeah. case, right? Because this kind of violence. Um,
3: yeah, and that's nice. I, no, sorry, please.
1: Well, I was going to say, now I have to ask the cheesy episode can I, question.
3: Can I just, yeah. oh, I just want to sort of add one more thing to, yeah, yeah. to what Pamone was saying about sort of legacies. And this is what Don left me and, and what all. Like I mean, I think it's I think it's sort of wonderful that that Hayes uh, says he wrote this poem, he came to write this poem because he was having his children memorize poetry. like he want he he decided that he would uh, he wanted his children to to memorize some poems. so he had his uh, you know, young daughter uh, learn a. Hughes poem, and he assigned his five-year-old son, Gwendolyn Brooks, "We Real Cool," just as something that you know, so the child could 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 have it. And and uh, I mean, there's a meaningful sense in which that's also like this is Terrence Hayes with his child, you know, saying, Mm -hmm. "Look, I want you to to know about poetry. I want you to have this, you know, get them early, right? Start (laughs) when start them when they're five years old. Have them have them memorizing some uh, some." great American poets, you know, just as a, that, that too is a legacy, I guess. Mm-hmm.
1: What about, what about this does give you a sense of hope, a hope in this case being tied to action, right? You still teach this poem, right? There's still a, like a, a revelry in the beauty of it. It's very obvious people have a lot of like passion and care for it, right? And with that means that there's, there's something juicy there that people might also, hold on to when they're like, why, you know, instead of like, oh, oh God, this just means we're all screwed, (laughs) you know, because it just keeps ending the same way.
2: Well, it keeps ending the same way, you know, in, uh, with the early death um, of African-Americans, it keeps ending in the ways that we are more familiar with because of the Black Lives Matter movement that, that we might be otherwise. It also, The substance of the endings in the poem—I don't speak to um, actual lives—but in the poem, the substance of the endings is that they are passed on. Is that they continue? Strangely, there's this paradox, right? That the thing I am passing on to you is being cut—is you're about to be cut shortness that you were born to. Um, experience. I think that there is a hope in that. The way that song, I mean, we mentioned this before, but the way that song continues, the way that the jazz tradition um, that's referenced as being in the blood, and then at the end, towards the end of the second section in the haze, while God licks his kin, we sing until our blood is jazz. We swing from June to June. There's the jazz swing tradition, I think, that's being invoked there, along with a kind of instability, right? Um, I mean, it's really amazing to me how subtly the complexities enter by mere proximity of one phrase to another phrase or a word to a next word. Um, If we're going from June to June, you can't help but hear, I think, from paycheck to paycheck or just sort of, you know, what, what what does it mean to experience the year in that way? swinging from June to June. June is is what? It's that moment of ripeness before over ripeness and death potentially, right? There's an instability I think that we're just swinging from June to June. Like we don't, uh, that even movement itself is somehow limited. But when you speak of the hopefulness of it, I do find the hopefulness in the act of poetry and in the act of the singing. And even in the, the idea, and it's external to the poem, but the idea of the little boy, the, the five year old, he's Hayes's actual son, who's five at the time, memorizing We Real Cool. One of the things he, Hayes says that he worries about is that the complexities of the poem are too much for a five year old boy to really see the, the positive and the negative aspects of it, the praise and the defiance. But he also knows that that poem will stay in the heart since it's been memorized by heart in the boy and that he will be able to look at it with adult eyes later. And the overlap between the adult and the child eyes, of
3: course. For me, part of the, uh, part of the beauty of the poem, part of what, what, what I love about Hayes, it's, it's not like Gwendolyn Brooks was, you know, anywhere. She, is, she was not an obscure poet when he published this. But at the same time, he, he does bring a lot of people back to Brooks. Like take another look at Brooks, not, not We Real Cool, but like all of Brooks. Brooks was an amazing poet, right? There's, there's a way, and, and Ter- Terrence Hayes is a really generous poet in a lot of his, like he's always sort of in conversation with, with uh, a lot of poetry in sort of conspicuous ways, as is Pomone Triplet. Like the, it's, it's just nice to have, when, when poets sort of show, you. there's a way of sort of performing generosity you know Brooks is 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 an amazing poet who uh, who deserves, you know, all the attention that that um, that we're giving her. And so for me, that's the part of what I love about Hayes, but also part of what I love about this poem is that it 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 says, "Hey, go read your Brooks again," <laughs> you know. Uh, so, and I would add to that that the, the the Golden Shovel anthology, like when when everyone starts doing. These golden shovel poems, you know, the Golden Shovel anthology, like it's a really good anthology. There's some awesome poets in it. There are num, I mean, it's it's, it's a really fabulous uh, collection, right? So it's generative in in uh, in ways that, again, it sort of surprised surprised Hayes, I think, quite reasonably <laughs> that, that it should be so generative. But it was it's really quite wonderful in in uh, not just sort of making us reflect on Brooks again, but also in in sort of generating. Uh, a lot of, you know, wonderful poetic culture.
2: Yeah, precisely. I mean, that's what form is for, right? Is to generate, speaking as a practitioner, is to generate material so that, it, you know, the form might take you into places that you never will discover without the form. The certain limitations, the challenges of it. And I love how, I don't know exactly where it is, but one of the high schoolers, I think, who encounters the Golden Shovel Anthology says, oh, now I see there's a way to not just write about my personal experience, but to write about this larger arena of, um, you know, culture and collective experience and history, all of the things that really they're thinking about anyway. But the question is, how could I possibly get all of that onto the page, you know, without it being... Um, didactic or cliche or you know what what have you um it the, the the form makes this is another thing that's helpful the form kind of makes a place where the the personal and the public can meet and make some new creative innovative piece of work and I mean I know when I was trying to write in high school I knew I was just writing about my personal little incredibly wild emotional life right (laughs) at the time but I also knew that it was probably kind of not important you know or not mature or not you know I even knew you know then well this is just about me right it's not going to matter to anybody else but this gives you a space where you can kind of get over those feelings and combine them and allow more parts of the self, more parts of your actual daily experience and and, um, life experience onto the page.
0: for
1: joining us today for our literature language culture dialogue series as a reminder you can find the text referenced today in the reading list linked in the description as well as visual components of the talk in our youtube edition to keep up with this project follow us on instagram and twitter at uw underscore that's uw underscore and facebook which is just facebook.com forward slash uw with no underscore To learn more about our speaker, please visit the UW English Department page, which is also linked in the description of this episode. Please also reach out to us if you have any questions or would like to learn more about the project. Thank you so much, and we hope you all
2: have a wonderful day.